Hey, Jordan, how's it going? Hey, what's up, Rob? Oh, not much. Uh, feeling a little bit better after our, our staff meeting last week. Uh, the interns seemed really excited about the artisanal uh, 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 hydro flasks of crude oil. I think that mm. was a solid idea. We've unloaded some of the product that was stored in the basement there. Mm-hmm. Feeling a little bit better about the about that whole situation. And, of course, you had the big boy president um, threatening to... to uh, start a war with Iran again, which I think juiced the oil prices a little bit. So fingers crossed, we're going to get back into the black. Um, <laughs> oh, oh, pun intended. Clever. Yeah. Um, that's, yeah, that's pretty exciting. Um, you know, how was your weekend? What'd you, what, what are you up to? Well, it was okay. Uh, I gotta be honest. I'm really missing sports. I'm really oh, missing God. sports right now. The NBA playoffs should be going on right now. You know, I'm a big mm-hmm. Toronto Raptors fan. I was looking forward to them uh, running it back this year and trying to defend that championship. And uh, it's it's weird to not have that outlet, and it's it's weird and sad. Mm-hmm. And I'm I gotta say, I'm missing I'm missing the sports a little bit this week. The sports ball. Oh, you're telling me? Yeah, I mean, I, I found myself getting really into the uh, NFL draft, which is kind of like the Super Bowl of football. Um, and, uh, you yeah. know, I was thinking as I was watching the draft, I was thinking, you know, what would be cool if we had like a, a draft yeah. for, for like Biden's cabinet. Ooh. And I was thinking if you had a first like overall that. pick, first overall pick in the draft, who would you pick for Biden's cabinet? <sighs> Living or dead or is it can be anyone yeah, 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 or just yeah. anyone yeah, that's fancy, alive now? Total fancy draft. Oh yeah. I would Reagan right there. Oh, VP. you dog. Yeah, All right. Yeah. yeah. Get him right in there. Just let signal to everyone. You know, this is a team of rivals. We're all going to come together. Uh-huh. The Gipper, get the Gipper in there. Um, you know, you have to, you have someone of the the heightened mental state of Biden. You add mm-hmm. Reagan in there as well. Also, famously very sharp. Mm-hmm. That would just be magical. So that would yeah. that would be my number one pick in the in the fantasy draft. Okay. Okay. Cool. So so I, so I, go, I would go next. I would pick um, John Boehner. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think you. Uh, you show you you can relate to the Midwest. He's got that you know son of the bartender. He's got that legislative experience. He knows how to get in and you know get get you know get down to the nitty gritty and, and get get bills through. Wouldn't that be sick? Just having John Boehner and yeah. and, and Joe Biden's cabinet. And he's pretty orange too, so you can counter his orangeness <laughs> yeah. against Trump. Right. You could match match that up quite nicely. Yeah. Dude, Trump would die if he saw it. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, talking about the economy. I feel like where Biden's team is going with that already couldn't mm-hmm. be like, I couldn't do any better than that. We got, you know, Jamie Dimon, I think is mm-hmm. one of the candidates there. We heard this week, they're talking to Larry, Larry Summers. Oh, uh, okay. They're knocking that out of the park right away. Cause obviously these are the guys that you really want dictating economic policy for your, your like mm-hmm. left wing party, obviously. Mm-hmm. So they're, I, I couldn't pick anyone better than that. I think they're, they're totally crushing it on that one already. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, couldn't agree more there. Uh, boy, this is tough. If I had to pick, whew, wow, next pick. I Here's the thing. I would trade. I would trade this pick, and I would trade down to get more picks later. And then here's what I would do. I would pick these two people together, both Bushes, uh, HW and yes. W. What, I mean, they've got they got uh, executive office experience. They've What's been Jeb there. You know what? Why not? <laughs> Get the whole clan in there. Yeah. 
Yeah, that'd be good stuff. I mean, you're talking about foreign policy. You, the Trump administration already has Elliot Abrams in there running point on Venezuela. I would just keep him exactly where he is. Mm-hmm. I mean, Could he's we get got Eric the experience and know-how. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, definitely. That'd be great. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, Eric Prince as DOD, Elliot Abrams, Secretary of State. Dude, we're talking like 95 bulls level. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> definitely. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I mean, who else can you, if this is already just like a, a, an all-star team, you know, maybe you can just mm-hmm. add like, uh, Satan. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about a team of rivals, right? Mm-hmm. He's going to really <laughs> take that to the next level. He's good. <laughs> he can just be kind of running, running point on, you know, just all domestic policy. You just want to run everything through him just to make sure that you're getting that kind of... (laughs) Yeah, he's like the Mark Price of the cabinet. (laughs) God, that's going to go over a lot of people's heads, I think. Welcome back to the show, everyone. It's The Insurgents, episode 20. Uh, I am happy to be here. Thank you for tuning in. And I'm Rob Rousseau. Hey, Rob. I am Jordan Yule, your co-host. Yeah. So we got a great episode this week. Uh, Dana Afana from MLive, uh, reporter in uh, just outside of Detroit in Ann Arbor, Michigan, is joining us to talk about her story about how uh, Muslims in the Detroit metro area are celebrating Ramadan. We also get into, you know, some Michigan politics, some Rashida Tlaib, some Gretchen Whitmer, uh, and how Joe Biden is playing in that region. Um, Pretty good conversation. Um, Thankful that Dana took time out of her day. Um, Pretty busy time for for her uh, to talk to us, uh, schlubs. So thank you, Dana. And yeah, excited about the conversation. Definitely. And we also did talk about um, these allegations against Biden, uh, from his former uh, former staffer from the early '90s, uh, Tara Reid, um, we had a, we we delved into this, and this is like a big story right now. I'm just looking at trending topics in Twitter, and it's Kavanaugh, Tara Reid, uh, Biden, Me Too. So this is really just picking up steam. It's uh, it's becoming a a major major story, uh, despite the the efforts at people in the Democratic Party and even people in the Biden campaign and people in the media to avoid talking about it it's it seems like it's sort of dam is breaking and it's getting to a point where they're not going to be able to continue doing that so we also got into that as well um and we know so that's why i wanted to mention that because we're, we're not going to talk about that right away but i did just want to mention just briefly uh we joked about it in the beginning of the episode how the news came out this week about biden uh, taking economic advice from larry summers and that, I think, is just so telling. It's definitely worth spending a few minutes talking about this. How, I mean, this is something that's come up plenty already. How definitely Biden and the Democratic Party are going to try to suggest that it's, you know, he's going to govern in this big kind of broad, progressive way. And, you know, you had Obama talking about how Bernie, he doesn't even need to campaign anymore because he's already won. He's already won all these concessions, even though there's no actual evidence of that. But I think, like, Biden taking economic advice from Larry Summers who is, uh, you know, a holdover from the Obama administration who really helped sabotage the last uh, massive economic stimulus the next, the last time there was a big economic crisis and, and a Democrat got the opportunity to confront that. 
Larry Summers was a big uh, part of making sure that it was completely inadequate uh, and that it, the recovery never really happened for, for like working people and homeowners as much as it did for, for like banks and corporations. So um, I think that's just, that to me is definitely uh, really troubling and it's yet another piece of evidence uh, that as much as, as Biden and people in the Democratic Party are going to use progressive rhetoric to kind of talk about how, how great a Biden administration would be, uh, I don't think the facts of what it would actually be uh, is going to match up to that at all. And I think this, this the fact that he's taking uh, economic advice from Summers is a, is a big example of that. Well, even before that, Larry Summers... Um has been a mover and shaker in the fight against the regulation of Wall Street. Um, he was, you know, part of, you know, he's got fucking blood on his hands from from the from the from the economic collapse uh, in the '90s when Brooks Lee Bourne was running the Commodities Future uh, Trading Commission. Uh, she proposed regulating derivatives and all of those synthetic products within them, like credit default swaps, futures and options, uh, CDOs, all those types of things that just like, really just they're nothing. You're just making money off of like nothing, basically. You know, they don't produce any yeah. those people who profit off that don't produce any value or labor or anything like that. So she proposed regulating them. He got the head of like every fucking bank together um, in his office and called her and basically exerted this external pressure campaign to, you know, prevent her from doing so um this is someone who's on been on the side of the, the wealthy and the capitalist class uh for years uh which and you know defended products quote products and things like that and financial instruments that led to a catastrophic economic collapse and then was at his hands on the on the reconstruction so you yeah, fuck him forever but it really shows where biden's head's at and the people around him where their heads are at uh, if he is be, if he is the, one of the first people they talk to for this kind of stuff. Yeah. And I think and pointing to the last crisis, the financial crisis in, in 08, right when Obama's elected and some, the role that Summers played in that, I think is really pertinent because um, mm-hmm. the, the way that I've heard this story and the way it's been reported out is that the actual advice, the economic advice that was that was being given to Obama about the stimulus package and the recovery package called for like a, a massive like 1.5 trillion dollar stimulus which summers basically just slashed in half before he even presented this to obama because just like oh no one it's it's too expensive and no one's going to go for it uh you know what about the deficit that kind of stuff which really just like that's like the obama approach to political change in a nutshell just like completely uh negotiating with yourself before you even get to the bargaining table um and it, it like that's there's no evidence to the contrary that that a, a hypothetical Biden administration would be any different in their approach to to resolving this crisis or future crises, um, you know. And and I'll keep saying this because some of these Democrats in the in Biden himself and people in the campaign can be quite convincing when they talk about how seriously they take these progressive issues. Uh, if you look at the history of of who's advising the campaign and the decisions they've made. Uh, it doesn't add up to an administration that's going to be governing like that in any way. And that's something that, that people really need to keep in mind. Yeah. Yeah. I just, and there's conversations around pushing by and left and things like that. And I just don't know if that's even possible. No. I honestly, I don't, I, I don't, don't I don't think it is. And as I've said before, I mean, the, the whole Biden campaign was financed by the very people that, that Bernie Sanders. And, and if you believe in kind of like uh sort of like, progressive populist economics, the very people that they're trying to kind of supplant and get rid of. Um, 
for the exact reason that they don't want to do any of that stuff. Um, mm-hmm. And that's something that I said about this primary, like when it was first starting, uh, because it's not just about rhetoric and who says, you know, who's the most passionate and who's, who's, who sounds the most progressive when they say things, but it's about who's going to like meaningfully confront these entrenched industries, the banking industry, the military industrial complex, the, the pharmaceutical companies, uh, you know, the health insurance companies, like these people need to be directly confronted and taken on, uh, head on. That's what Bernie, that's what his campaign was all about. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as much as, as people in Biden's campaign or his camp can talk about how these, these issues are important, ultimately, like, do you really believe that he or anyone in close to him is actually going to confront these people and take them on? No. And you shouldn't believe that. Uh, and that's why that all the conversation about pushing Biden left, I think, is probably uh, a bit of a waste of time. Yeah. I mean, I think they're just going to they'll do just enough to placate just a critical mass of people, whatever their calculations shows that would just, you know, just just get them over the hump to win without getting them on the hook to actually follow through on on it. You know, yeah, it just I heard I, uh, someone expressed to me today that like maybe the the frustration and outrage over the DNC stuff for platform shaping is overblown because he's, he said, um, you know, cause the next day they just burn it all up anyway. They don't even follow it. So yeah, it's just, I think it's all kind of a charade and optics and this, the, you know, just kind of a meaningful or meaningless, um, fight at the end. Maybe I'm too cynical. I don't know. I, I could be. I'm just, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think it's possible to be too cynical <laughs> yeah. about whether the democratic party is going to do the right thing. I think you're the, just the right amount of cynical. I'm trying. I'm trying. Trying to keep level headed yeah. as best I can. Yeah. Well, well, let's put a pin in this. Well, we're going to talk more about uh, uh, Joe Biden and, and everything about that. Who knows if he's going to even be the nominee at this point? Um, who knows? I feel like pretty much anything could happen. But we'll talk more about his campaign in just a little bit. Uh, the The only other thing I wanted to mention to you um, is just this story this week, which is so funny. It speaks to how fucking insane... Uh, these, you know, modern times are and the modern news cycle was the fact that Donald Trump basically in a press conference encouraged people to like inject themselves with bleach and household chemicals uh, just a few days ago. And that's already pretty much being forgotten. But, uh, you know, it was so funny and weird that I thought we should at least mention it. Boy, I saw so many like memes on like Boomer Facebook that were like, uh, that's not actually what he meant. He meant yeah. when you take blood out of your body and shine a light on it and put it back in. It's like, what the fuck are you talking about? Well, the right wing news cycle was so, it was so, so funny about this because you had people in like Breitbart being like, oh, actually, even though he used the word inject, uh, what mm-hmm. he meant was, and they're all doing these like, uh, insane, uh, mental gymnastics to try and justify this. I uh, also had like Scott Adams, the, the Dilbert guy who I guess he's not doing Dilbert anymore. Now his big thing is like convincing people that Trump is actually a genius and that any, anyone that like <laughs> listens to the words he says and is understandably alarmed by it is like part of some conspiracy. He was also doing that same thing. Like, oh no, he, what he, he didn't mean that he was actually talking about this super advanced, uh, treatment and therapy that only some people know about. And, oh, if you don't know about that, that's only showing your ignorance. And so oh. it was a whole like 12 hour cycle of, of dipshits like this, uh, bending over backwards to, to, uh, deny that like the very obvious thing that he said was like, not what he said. Uh, <laughs> and then the next day Trump was like, oh no, I did say that, but I was joking. 
And was, oh, was being whole, sarcastic. Yeah, yeah being sar- that classic sense of humor <laughs> yeah, that we yeah. know and love. Yeah, the the funny man we all know and love, <laughs> Donald Trump. <laughs> he just yeah, this guy's always cracking jokes. I mean, he is he, he is cracking jokes a lot, but he definitely was not <laughs> doing it in that in that situation. No, no, it's it also then today like one of the uh, comms people in the white house tweeted out like uh we like to keep reporters on their toes winky emoji yeah. and everyone's like fifty five thousand people are dead <laughs> yeah. she deleted it like a couple hours later but yeah. it's just like you fucking psychopaths and what, there's already trump supporters that have taken this like bizarre medical advice and followed through on it and literally died so maybe that's not <laughs> right. even if you were joking maybe that's not the best thing to be joking about uh, right, considering right. the fact that you have this like cult-like fan base that listens to every fucking word you say and, and follows along with it, even if you're talking about, like, you know, injecting bleach into your lungs. Um, so not not a great, not a great uh, a high point for right-wing media this week, and uh, probably not probably not Donald Trump's finest moment as, as president of the United States either. But yeah, it was very funny. Just, yeah. Oof. Well, you wanted to talk about some uh, reviews we got as well before we get into yes. the interview? Yes. Uh, we're going to get to the interview soon. I just did want to read a couple of these reviews. We've been getting some great reviews over on App, uh, Apple Podcasts. And again, we encourage everyone to please continue reviewing the show as it's very, very helpful. It helps people discover the show. It helps us with the, the iTunes and the Apple Podcast rankings. Uh, and we really enjoy reading them as well. So um, I've got a couple of these reviews that I would just like to read because they're very funny. Um and here, uh, here we go. Here's uh, okay. So this is just a very simple one. Good news. Enjoying these campaign news and updates from author, writer, former journalist Jordan Ewell and Rod Rousseau, mm-hmm. which is not like my that name. One. Not oh. not my name. Not named Rod. Very funny. I'm sure that was intentional. I don't but... know. That's like I like that one. I like that review <laughs> personally. <laughs> um. Well, let's see. Let's see. We've we've repeatedly warned people to not leave reviews mentioning Ken Klippenstein. Unfortunately, I think pretty much every single review does. Uh, we've got one one review here. More Kenny Clip. Uh, there needs to be more Kenny Clip on this pod. Stop being scared to embrace the Klippenstein. Right below that, uh, the review titled "Beef," and the review is <laughs> "Why is a Ken?" Okay, that's a good one. Not sure what that means. Um, <laughs> and this next one says Ken is the Urkel of this podcast. <laughs> which then says says uh jean jordan rousseau and rob yule mm-hmm. again not our names uh probably a mistake there uh do a good job covering the bad news trapping us in this miasma ken urkel klippenstein drapes his suspenders on the couch of a lot of episodes but it's mercifully easy fast forwarding past his antics <laughs> so, so that was yeah. good I can't. So I think you actually have a Canadian iteration of iTunes because I can't see any of these. So really? don't I'm, you dare. If you're listening, don't you dare leave Canadian reviews because I can't see them. We'll, we'll we'll get to the bottom of this, but I'm they. <laughs> there are some from Canada. It says Canada. Yeah. All right. I knew it. But you can't see them. You can see I, them. these fucking Canadians are always up to something. <laughs> okay. This one's kind of long, but Let's again, we have to address this because we've talked about. Ken and his toxic influence. We 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 have what I thought was a pretty hard and fast rule on this, that somewhere the signals are getting crossed and it keeps getting uh, forgotten. So this this uh, reviewer unfortunately absolutely furious about this pod allowing Ken Klippenstein on. Uh, this podcast is excellent. 
Jordan and Rob provide hilarious analysis and insight, and it's wonderful to not feel alone in hoping for a better future ushered in by strong leftist politics. That being said, I'm absolutely appalled that they would allow <laughs> Ken Klippenstein to be a featured guest on this show. He's been banned multiple times, but yet he persists, thumbing his nose at the rules. Ken continues to go where he isn't welcomed or wanted. Not sure why he would think the rules don't apply to him, but at some point you have to point the finger at leadership. Jordan and Rob, when are you going to step in and do something about this? Is it funny to you to watch someone flagrantly violate the clearly established protocol? <laughs> I don't think it is funny, and neither should you. I'm casting a vote of no confidence in the leadership of the insurgents executive board. Please show some leadership and do the right thing. Apologize and take ownership of this unfortunate situation. Well, he's so, got us there. Yeah. Bit of a mea culpa, I guess. We do, we really do need to do better on that. Uh-huh. Um, okay. I just got one more for you here. I just wanted to read this one because this is actually very nice. And I was very happy to get this review. Uh, the review says, I love you. I'm so happy I found you guys. I thought I was the only foreigner deeply emotionally invested in U.S. elections. I think maybe they think you might be Canadian too. Jordan, oh, I apologize for that. Off. How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> Listening to you chatting is actually soothing in a weird kind of way. Like everything will be all right. I love that you bring real true perspective to the current political affairs in the States. Uh, that you don't cave into pressure but are keeping it real. I volunteer lots of hours for Bernie now that I'm in lockdown. And when I pot, this was before he suspended his campaign, obviously. Mm -hmm. Uh, and when I pause to walk my dog, I put you in my ear and catch myself smiling sometimes. You give me hope and remind me why I'm fighting this hard for a candidate on the other side of the ocean. Uh, and yes, people here think I'm nuts for working tirelessly to help Bernie when, quote unquote, those crazy Americans never will understand how to vote in their best interests. No lies detected there. Um, also, <laughs> I don't understand the Ken thing and why the jokes about the Krasenstein brothers being his brothers. Is that because of the similarity in name? No, it's because they are, in, in fact... <laughs> actually brothers uh, i genuinely don't get it at all much love from Anne, a danish bernie bro wasn't that nice thank you that so much Anne, for that review it's so sweet delightful i really yeah. like that yeah that was great i haven't oh that was so nice um there was one more i thought was funny um if i may read one now that yeah, i know please. canadian oh, sorry, i didn't reviews. mean to like no i dominate, I dominate not, the review reading no uh, you're segment. fine you're fine i didn't know there was canadian reviews i want to get in get it in the weeds with these uh i could drink this kool-aid all day two great minds coming together to produce some of the finest content the internet and maybe the world has ever heard oh and some guy named gordon i think they might have accidentally hit the you know the g and the j k or you know the the, the buttons are just two letters yeah, apart, yeah. so it's probably just an accident the hosts <laughs> seem a bit bougie at times buddy you don't know me and they're they might be letting the fame go to their heads uh, well that's rob yeah but their guests are always so entertaining and informative i look forward to the coming apocalypse hey me too where i will glad gladfully die from dysentery in a foxhole side by side with these gentlemen in the impending class wars isn't that delightful it is yeah it's a little dark at the end there but <laughs> yeah. i appreciate the sentiment definitely oh it made me laugh i'm sorry yeah but good. uh I love getting these reviews. It's fun to read them. I, I love uh, you know getting them. So please continue reviewing the show. As I said, we just enjoy it. It's fun to read them on the show. And it also is just genuinely really helpful. It helps our uh, iTunes, uh, Apple Podcast rankings. It helps people discover the mm -hmm. show. So please uh, continue reviewing the show on Apple Podcasts. We really, really appreciate it. And thank you for everyone that, that has reviewed the show, and uh, especially the people that we, we shouted out. 
this week. Uh, okay, mm-hmm. before we get to uh, our interview, I just want to remind everyone to please, if you can, uh, if you've got some spare Trump bucks or Trudeau bucks, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, Think about subscribing to the show over on Substack. You can uh, subscribe at the $5 per month level or $55 annually. You get into our really, really cool and fun uh, Discord server. You're going to have access to future bonus content. And obviously, it's just very helpful to us who we, we, we do. And we love doing the show, but it is quite a lot of work. So it's really helpful to us in terms of keeping the show on the air. Um, I, I'm like a little leery. I always feel bad you know, asking about money and, and doing this stuff, especially now in this like crisis situation, but mm-hmm. I saw Vox was doing it and uh, oh, I was yeah. like, well, shit, if, if Vox is asking people to, to crowdfund their journalism, maybe I guess it's okay that we ask for a, a few bucks here and there as well, you know? Yeah. Um, and I guess like even just for like, not, not like prototypical uh, overhead but there you know there's costs associated with it's like hosting and editing software and the recording stuff like the recording program we use things like that it's like a subscri- usually subscription based so if even just to cover help us cover those costs that goes a long way and we're deeply appreciative to everybody who uh who has subscribed so far or is continuing to subscribe yeah and um, even if you can't it's also totally fine uh, we're going to still be pumping out uh, free content for everyone to enjoy uh, it's a really precarious moment for everyone uh, uh us and the people that listen to the show so obviously no pressure but worth yeah. worth mentioning this stuff anyways as i said if, if vox can can ask people to crowdfund their <laughs> it, like to put, add into their their pot God of damn. money that they've got from like vc in, in general electric and, <laughs> yeah giant they need people to really subsidize that as well yeah Unreal. so yeah i feel like if they can do it we can also do it um and I think that's everything. Yeah, uh, leave us a voicemail as well. We, we love getting the voicemails. We're going to continue playing those on the show. I do not remember the voicemail number, though. Uh, Jordan, what is it again? Caught me off guard. I'm opening up that the account oh, so I can look it up. The number is 202-570-4639. 202-570-4639. Great. Yeah, so please leave us some voicemail. Yeah, I don't remember <laughs> phone numbers anymore. That part of my brain just doesn't work anymore. I've been with my partner like nine years i still i if someone is holding a gun to my head i'm not sure i could say what her actual phone number is uh that part of my brain just no longer is functioning but uh yeah uh please please continue sending voicemails as well we always really love to get those yeah yeah uh i think we're good yeah you want to want to introduce the the guest and sure. get, get us to our uh our transition there <laughs> yeah yeah i'll do it uh after we'll be with Sorry. Great job. Thank you. I don't usually do this. Put me on the spot. Uh, And we will have our conversation with Dana right after this. you want to do the again the, the pretend uh banter the pretend banter yeah we can <laughs> do that forced banter segment sometimes i think it plays well i think it's, yeah. it's interesting because it's like it's kind of got that self-deprecating thing <laughs> that and then the listener also feels like they're in on the conversation yeah that's right <laughs> yeah dana have you watched any uh good movies lately mm, i've been watching a lot of spanish tv shows actually 
Not what? so much movies. Yeah, <laughs> Netflix has this huge like thing where they're starting to push out Spanish content. Uh, one being Money Heist, another one is Elite. Oh. It's really good shows. I you were telling me about it. Money Heist, right? Yes, it's so. I good. love the name Money Heist. I think it's a terrific name for. Uh, <laughs> it's such a great show. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've heard it's good, but it's it sounds really like not very original. You know, it's just like. A, oh yeah. But there's something about Spanish television. I don't know if it's their actors, the storyline. It's just so good. <laughs> really? Yeah. I couldn't right, stop I watching. Money heist. So, all yeah, right. I gotta, I'll, we'll, we'll look it up. Um, well, so is that how you're keeping yourself busy these days? Pretty much. But I already finished them, so I need something new to do. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like it's like a shortage. just like a shortage on, on shows to stream and, and movies to watch. Oh, my God. Yeah. Have you seen the... The ESPN Last Dance documentary at all on Jordan? I'm not, but I've been hearing about it. Yeah, I watched the first episode. It sounded good. Rob, you're a basketball fan. Have you seen that? Yeah, I've been watching that. I'm, I didn't catch the the latest ones, but I saw the first couple of episodes, and it's pretty great. Like, it's I take it for granted because I grew up watching that era of the NBA and and seeing mm. Jordan like in those years. Like that's how yeah. that was like my formative memory as a as a basketball fan. So I realized that you know I, I am now old. And <laughs> a lot of the people that watch the NBA now aren't really familiar with uh, with what he was actually like to watch in his prime, and also his just completely like psychotic, um, sociopathic demeanor and his like willingness <laughs> yeah. to win at all costs and just to destroy his teammates in the process. So it's it's funny to see people kind of like realize come around to realize this stuff. Yeah, I feel like there's like a certain mentality for people who are that caliber of athlete, where they're just like, at some point, they just transcend being like, phenomenon and actually sociopaths. Um, And I feel like across the board, like, I feel like we're gonna find out stuff about Tom Brady eventually, where he is just like a complete nut. But to be that good at something, you have to be psychotic. That's just true. So on that note, Dana, thank you for joining. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sorry, I can't really talk much about basketball, but <laughs> there okay. are other things. <laughs> it's okay. We gotta, we gotta have the, we gotta have the banter. Yeah. Right, we, we got to, it. We got the it. The serious stuff. Dana, so um, you you wrote this piece. Um, well, actually, M. Wait, what, which, which I guess it's like that network of papers in Michigan. So you, you wrote this piece about how Michigan Muslims are preparing to observe Ramadan together um, in the time of cor- uh, coronavirus. Um, could you guys, I guess, brief inter- uh, introduction to the, the listeners who you are uh, and, where, and where you report? So I typically cover business and transportation and sometimes immigration news in the Ann Arbor area, previously in Detroit specifically. Um, and I work for MLive, which is, like you said, like this network that owns eight newspapers across Michigan. And I work for the Ann Arbor paper. Um, this story that I wrote has published in all of our networks. So our website holds, you know, all... Um, we have nine networks. One of them's online, which is Lansing. Uh, it carries all of the news in uh, all those regions. So this story specifically got shared across the state. Um, and that's because, you know, this holiday is touching on, you know, statewide uh, network. Um, mm-hmm. And so the story was important this year because Ramadan is a time when Muslims are going out and, you know, having iftar together. They're doing community service together. Um, and that could be things like 
packing boxes of essentials for those in need or volunteering at soup kitchens and more importantly, going to the mosque and worshiping because this is a time to really connect with God. Um, And this year, obviously, we can't do that. And typically, there's like thousands of people showing up at the mosque, but it's just it's it can't happen this year. And so before my story came out, um, there were a lot of people who were kind of sad and saying things like Ramadan is canceled this year. Uh, What are we going to do? We're not even going to be able to celebrate at the end of it. Um, People were really, really upset. They're like, I can't even eat with my parents. I can't see my friends and family. But after writing it, like I sort of saw this new perspective. And that Mm -hmm. is, you know, this holiday is all about connecting with God. And that is something that you really should do alone. It's a very personal connection that you could, you know, do in the comfort of your own home. And you don't need anyone else to really do that for you. And I think a lot of people are also seeing that, but they're finding other ways to get involved, you know, when it comes to things like helping out the community um, remotely. So from their screens, like they can donate money, they can, uh, you know, donate food and people will pick it up and send it to people who need it. So that's sort of how it came about. Um, and it was also, it's not just Ramadan, it's also Easter and Passover. I mean, a lot of families had to stay, you know, remote. If they're not living with each other, they probably, they may not have celebrated together. Um, so it was, I mean, it's a hard time for really all religions right now. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I, I, I noticed in your story, you talked about like on top of, you know, how people are actually observing and celebrating, uh, you talked about like the the community service and the, the charitable efforts kind of tangential to the holiday itself. Uh, could you talk a little, little bit about like what's going on um, in these communities to help others, like not just for the holiday, but also just in, in a time of coronavirus uh, in general? Mm-hmm. So uh, there are a lot of things going on uh, between, you know, helping those in need versus helping healthcare workers. There are companies that are making masks. There are companies collecting money to sort of be like the liaison to bring masks to Michigan. There are people making food uh, for people who can't leave because of the coronavirus. And that could be, you know, people who are either sick or elderly or just somehow vulnerable to it. Um one of the main organizations that I spoke with, um, it was the founder of Zaman International. Her name is Najah Bazi. She actually was a CNN hero for her work at Zaman. And um, she has stuff planned pretty much every day of the year uh, for those in need. But especially around the holidays, she's always preparing things like clothing drives or you know food packages. And this year she's doing um, a food drive However, she's not accepting volunteers because, you know, the coronavirus, she's trying to limit the spread. So she's using her own staff. But there's, you know, an opportunity for people to donate money so that she can buy the food and sort of hand it off to people in a drive through style. So put it in their trunk or through their window, um, whatever works for them. Um, so that's one thing that's going on right now. Um, another thing is a grocery drop off, uh, for people in need again. Um, Mm -hmm. and that is, you know, a group is collecting donations, uh, to buy groceries for people who can't otherwise afford it. And, you know, they drop it off. The volunteers drop it off at their home. Um, I've also noticed, I think there was something I heard about, like, medicine drop-offs for people who need prescriptions. Um, 
I don't know that it's continuing through the month, so I'm not sure how far into like how far I should go into that. Um, it might have just been a coronavirus thing. Uh, but there's all these campaigns going on. Even um, this guy named Hassan Shami, who I mentioned in my story, he runs what's called the Suhoor Festival. And the Suhoor is the meal that you eat uh, at dawn so that you can prepare for a day of fasting. And last year, it was a huge hit. I mean, it gathered thousands of people. It was so crowded that they had to find a new space that was supposed to be used this year that's much bigger to accommodate people. And it's just a bunch of people like teenagers, adults, even much older people um, just gathering at what looks like a food truck rally. And I believe they sold things like jewelry and other, you know, accessories. Um, and it's just a bunch of people gathering at like midnight, 1 a.m., 2 a.m., just eating and laughing and just having a good time with each other, listening to Quran recitation in the background to sort of keep the spirit alive of the holiday raffles, um, things like that. It was a huge hit. And then this year, of course, you know, he can't host it because you can imagine gathering 10,000 people is very irresponsible uh, in a pandemic. So what he did instead was um, establish a fundraiser to donate, you know, N95 masks and other equipment, uh, protective equipment for healthcare workers. And he even asked all of his sponsors to donate to those campaigns as well so there's a lot of you know quick response to how this pandemic has affected the holiday i mean yeah we can't go out and we can't do these community service things in person but it was honestly like this is the quickest turnaround i've ever seen where people are like okay like i have a plan b and that is you know donate to whoever's in need right now. And that doesn't necessarily mean, you know, people who need a meal on their table. It's also like these frontline workers, um, which I guess we never would have imagined we'd be in this position before. But it's really, it's really beautiful to see just how this community, like how quickly they can respond to these things and just how much they care about people in need and about healthcare workers. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of talk right now about, um, opening up the economy again and getting people back to work. Um, and I know that doesn't really, that doesn't really mesh so much with the, the large scale lack of testing and the lack of a vaccine. So, you know, all that kind of talk, notwithstanding, it's really still looking at this point, like large gatherings, um, are not going to really be possible for the foreseeable future. Um, is what you're seeing right now, like, are you, are you seeing evidence that, the Muslim community and other religious communities are going to be able to kind of adapt to this new paradigm. Um, How how are you finding that? Yeah, I I definitely think so because, you know, before Ramadan, like this was weeks before when this uh, sort of lockdown, if you will, I'm trying not to use that term, but um, this isolation period uh, started, you know, imams at the mosque would start streaming services, like sermons online, like Facebook Live. And, you know, they're really encouraging people not to gather. And I think that in itself sort of encourages people to stay home and it encourages them to find an alternative way to keep their spirits alive. Obviously, you know, with Muslims, we love gathering. Like we love having (laughs) dinner parties with like 40 people. Like it's just, it's our thing. Um, (laughs) 
I know I'm sure some people are still gathering and we just don't know it. Um, I, I really can't speak for that. But I do think that people are being responsible overall. I think that if, you know, we do reopen operations and this order gets lifted, I'm sure some people will gather. But I think for the most part, people will sort of keep their distance as needed. I know a lot of people are paranoid. Um, and if anything, Muslims are probably very paranoid about getting sick. Um, so I do think it, it will take some time um, for them to really go out in the world and start congregating. But, you know, there's always going to be that group that just decides, I'm sick of staying at home. Let's go out. Like, let's do this. Let's, you yeah. know get our minds off of this <laughs> yeah but that seems to be that seems to be like a trait that's not real that's kind of like secular that's happening in religious communities <laughs> it's happening in secular communities doesn't seem to yeah. have much to do with the actual beliefs kind of underpinning all that right and i mean like i said at the mosque like if the imam says like we're not going to congregate for you know this amount of time like i think people will respect that for the most part mm-hmm. one thing i think is just so interesting is i think um Congresswoman Ilhan Omar pointed it out. She said, "Not you, you don't hear a single story about uh, uh, a mosque holding service uh, in defiance of these regulations." But you see, time and time again, all these like <laughs> ludicrous, like batshit, yeah. like Southern, like evangelist pastors <laughs> just like using it as some like bold, like testament to their faith. The guys like defying house, house arrest repeatedly in Louisiana. It's just it's just nuts. But the thing is, like the, that community is always going to like the Christian community is always going to get defended. Like they're going to and even up like last week, Trump was saying they're like persecuted. Like I, it just it boggles my mind. Yeah. yeah and I, I get that. Like from a religious standpoint, I do understand why it's so hard for some people to, you know, be told by their government that they shouldn't congregate. And I think sure. that's part that's part of the reason why the governor here in Michigan said, you know, she's not going to fine religious places if they decide to congregate but it's just like a strong i urge you not to gather people um but i think it's just like it's common sense like you just it's it's for the safety of yourself and the public and the nice thing about like islam is that you don't have to go to the mosque every day to worship like you can do it in your home and at the time, like in a time of a pandemic, like this is a natural disaster, uh, state of emergency type of situation where um, I think most Muslims would believe that God will understand if you can't go to the mosque and worship. Yeah, you got to get those mega churches <laughs> open, though, because that those big yeah. those big mansions are going to finance themselves and, and private jets and all that stuff. All those guys need. Hey, God wants, God wants them to have, to have private jets. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Very important Unreal. stuff. Oh my god! Um, so you, 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 I want to. I'm trying to think of a question of how we can pivot to Rashida Tlaib because she was in it. Mm-hmm. She's in the story. Um, yeah. So I mean, I obviously but, reached out to her because she has been outspoken about her religion and her background, and I know this is you know a holiday that she participates in and deeply cares about the Muslim community. Um, you know, the community obviously appreciates people like her and representative Abdullah Hamoud, who's a state representative in Dearborn for, you know, sort of being there for them. They feel really secure 
around having Muslim representatives in office because they feel like finally, like we have a voice in this world where we feel ignored. Mm-hmm. Um, but she, you know, she also she and Elhan Ahmad last year hosted an iftad in Congress uh, among the staffers, and you know they ate together, they prayed together, and a lot of people were excited to have that this year, but they obviously can't. So I think they're just trying to think of other ways to reconnect with each other, um, whether it's through Zoom or otherwise. Um, I was wondering, because uh, Rashida Tlaib has, has played a large role in this kind of the primary as a kind of an early endorser of Sanders, and she campaigned heavily with them uh, across the nation and especially in Michigan as well. Mm-hmm. Um, have you noticed either with this I think this is probably a rhetorical question, but when it comes to, you know, the, the primary or, you know, just being outspoken about other issues with, with Rashida Tlaib or uh, Ilhan Omar, have you noticed, because I've certainly noticed that, that it seems like uh, we get this edict to listen to women and listen to women of color when they talk about things, but it seems like this this never really seems to apply for some reason to uh, to Rashida Tlaib and Ilan Omar. Is that something? Am I just imagining why, that, or do you think that's a real thing that's happening? wonder why that is. Yeah. I'm sorry, what's your question exactly? Well, just have you, like, have you noticed that kind of double standard at play when, um, you know, the Democratic Party kind of claims to be the party of sort of minorities and, and marginalized folks? and women uh, but it seems like they only want uh marginalized women to they want to hear their voices when they're saying certain things and when they're saying things things that they don't like uh suddenly those those rules kind of go out the window like have you noticed that double standard absolutely every day <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, yeah i i haven't figured out you know what is it going to take to combat that double standard i know that representative Talib she she probably knows of this double standard. She has to live it every single day. Um, and there's even like within your own community, there's always going to be, there's going to be people who support you because like someone who looks like you, someone who is like you is representing you. But then there are people who just decide not to support that person. And this is something that I believe Han Omar said, like, you're going to find out when you run for office, you're going to find out who your real friends are and who you thought were your friends, but they're actually not supporting you. And these are like people within your own community. And, you know, like we all know, Congresswoman Tlaib is very outspoken um, and, you know, interpret that as you want. That could be good. That could be bad. But some people love that, especially millennials. They absolutely love that she's so outspoken. Yeah. I love it. And then there are some people sort of in the previous generation, much older people who really like that because they're like, finally, we have representation. But then there are some people who are like, uh, like maybe we should tone it down. But that's like coming from like a very traditional mindset. Um, and I think it's just like they're kind of worried. I don't know, like people fear themselves sometimes. And so they they don't really they're not used to that you know, type of representation. It's so new to them that they're like shocked. And I don't necessarily think that it's like a bad surprise to them. They just have not seen that in their lifetime in the US that they're like, how do I how do I interpret this? And so, you know, she you mentioned, you know, I think you mentioned Bernie a bit ago. Um, She's obviously 
you know, a huge supporter of Bernie Sanders because she actually mentioned that he is a movement type of person. I interviewed her last week for this story and we talked a little bit about the Democratic Party. And she said, you know, he represents everything for, you know, when it comes to fighting for water or fixing the healthcare system, all this, you know, groundwork level stuff that people in her district need. Um, and she even mentioned like transformative change doesn't happen in the halls of Congress or the White House. It happens on the streets. And he put so much work on the ground that he ele- he was able to elevate on the national stage for people like immigrants or people who are fighting for minimum wage, um, all because of his grassroots work. And this is stuff that she has told me, by the way, um, in our interview. And so we eventually delved into sort of what she expects for the future of the Democratic Party, you know, with Joe Biden as the presumptive nominee, you know, I asked her, what is it that you would like to see, um, assuming, you know, he does move forward and that he wins this election? Who knows what that's going to look like? Um, She said, you know, we need a leader who can lead with compassion, who is very people centered and um, people who really and like a leader who can really invest in the actual people supporting, you know, local economies. I mean, Rashida, she represents one of the poorest congressional districts. So she's got a lot of people who are fighting for the $15 minimum wage who don't have health insurance, but, you know, they still have to work at work at the stores that they are employed at during this pandemic because they're considered essential workers and they're fearing for their lives, but they don't have these resources that other people are privileged to have. And so when it comes to, you know, competing with billionaires, she says, like, there's this rhetoric that we're all so disconnected and that, um, you know, the country isn't necessarily divided. Rather, it's disconnected. And I think she quoted a pastor on that. I don't know that um, those were necessarily her words, but she's saying we basically really need to connect and focus on the people and not just these billionaires and these corporations. Um, I know we just totally just, (laughs) this was a tangent from your first question, but it just, it all came to me. So, Um, Well, it's another, it's another really hypocritical thing that I've noticed as well, which is that in this primary, um, Bernie Sanders was able to really rally, uh, like Muslim communities in Michigan and elsewhere and immigrant communities and put together a really, a really quite historic coalition, including these communities. But I think because Joe Biden did better with basically a certain demographic of African-American voters, especially in South Carolina, that's kind of been used as kind of a cudgel to say like, well, well, you know, people of color support Joe Biden and not Bernie Sanders and just kind of completely erasing all the the organizing work and all the the people that came out and supported that movement from the Muslim community or from the immigrant community. And I imagine it's got to be really frustrating to be part of that community and to see that kind of the effort and the, the, the things you're really working towards politically just get kind of uh, swept away and completely um, completely ignored, even though, again, the Democratic Party kind of styles itself as being the party of, of marginalized people and immigrants. Uh, but again, it, it only seems like they only care about these voices when they're, they're uh, you know, saying what they want to hear. Yeah. I mean, you said it. That's pretty much how a lot of people I've spoken with feel right now. Um, there are a lot of people telling me that they don't even want to go to the polls anymore. And 
which I mean, that's kind of scary, uh, just because they, you know, they have a right to vote and, uh, they just, you know, they feel like the party, it's democratic party no longer looks out for them. Um, and like, you know, just kind of like what I said earlier about what Rashida said about Bernie is that, you know, they feel like he's a movement person and that he really taps into their community and doesn't just expect them to vote for him. Um, and this, you know, I think Muslims are also still very hurt from the 2016 election when Hillary Clinton said something about Muslims need to be on the front lines of terrorism, like they need to be on the front line of combating terrorism or something like that. And that was like very offensive to them. They're like, we shouldn't have to do this. Like we should have to have people standing up for us and like our representatives should be the ones to sort of, you know, stand in line and be like, no, this is wrong. So I think a lot of that hurt is still with them and they sort of associate that with establishment Democrats, which I mean, people might say Joe Biden is one of those. Um, I think so. Yeah. He hasn't, you know, made that comment or anything like that yet. Uh, I don't know that he will. Um, But I think what Muslims really want is for him to just really, you know, focus on them, focus on their issues, focus on equality, um, treating them, making sure that Muslims are not treated like second class citizens, because I think that's a problem that a lot of them are facing right now is they they do feel like second class citizens. Um, to, to circle back to Rashida, um, so she's facing a primary challenge. And this is to speak to kind of like this, 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 this dual um, this bifurcation of the Democratic Party. I mean, she's got someone who's a little bit more establishment in her, in her leanings. You know, she's a. I think she's the. Is she the city council chair of Detroit, or city council president, or uh, of uh, Brenda Jones? Yeah, she's the president, city council president. Yeah, so she's got you know tons of establishment inroads there. She had originally replaced Conyers. Um, I mean, do you think there's there's something there? Do you think this is a legitimate challenge? I mean, this prop this might be tough. I, mean, I recall the election in 2018 being a little a little closer. Um, mm-hmm. But do you, do you, I mean, I guess is do you think there's a challenge here, a legitimate challenge here? But also, what do you think this represents um, as part of this kind of bifurcated Democratic Party? I mean, does it, do you think this is kind of like a, a stat, don't want to say an, an establishment insurgence, but it seems like they're kind of trying to come reclaim the seat. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Um, I think, you know, someone who's as established as Brenda Jones is always going to be, you know, some form of competition. Right. And while Congresswoman Tlaib has, you know, her reputation, like she's established herself um, in Congress and she really has proven herself in a way for certain communities where people will constantly rally around her no matter what. You know, given that Brenda Jones has this reputation in Detroit, everyone knows who she is. I think, you know, like there probably will be some competition there. And, you know, it might encourage more of the black community to get out and vote, too, um, because that community also wants their representation. Uh, That's not to say that, you know, they're going to just vote for that reason. But I think both of them have some level of experience that there will be some competition. Um, and I think, you know, Congresswoman Tlaib isn't taking it lightly. I think she's been out campaigning for as long as she could, even while she's fasting. I don't know how she does it, but <laughs> somehow yeah. she's been able to do it for so many years. Um, so I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't put Brenda Jones off the table. 
And that's another, I mean, talk about a double standard. I mean, there's been a, a lot of talk about how, how the Democratic Party should not be encouraging uh, these kinds of um, uh, primaries against uh, against incumbents, and they should, they should be supporting the people that are there. I know, so like AOC, for example, who's kind of tried to get some of these off the ground, has, has really clashed with Democratic leadership about this kind of stuff. Um, so far, silence, as far as I understand, about this particular uh, <laughs> primary. And again, it just seems like there seems to be a bit of a double standard when it comes to uh, Rashida Tlaib in particular, but also people that that challenge the power structure anyway. But for them, for them, it's actually okay for them to be primaried, and that's fine. But anyone who's uh, you know going after these power structures, then you can never have that. Uh, and again, kind of a bit of a double standard there. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. <laughs> um, yeah, there's 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 this kind of unspoken rule and blacklist if you uh, are contracting for or or contract with or support progressive primary challengers at all. Like the DNC apparatus will completely blacklist you. I'm cu- blacklist you. I'm curious to see how. Um, strident they are in the enforcement of that same blacklist for people who help Brenda Jones. I, yeah, that would be really interesting to see. Um, and, you know, it's interesting. Um, wish I had my phone. If you're familiar <laughs> with uh, Abdul Sayed, he ran yeah, for governor. Yeah, yeah. Um, he actually posted something on his Instagram story today about sort of like, he was just responding to questions that people may have had about his book and he basically acknowledged that um, there are some, you know, scary inner workings of the Democratic Party that where they, you know, try to sort of build out certain candidates for certain seats. I want to find it because I don't want to misquote him on this, but it was just very interesting to hear that coming from him Mm -hmm. because it's just that right there is sort of proof that, you know, the party has an agenda here. Right. And as far as like the blacklisting, like I, that doesn't surprise me at all. Yeah. Um, so another another Michigan figure that's been getting a lot of attention uh, is your is your governor Gretchen Whitmer, mm-hmm. um, and there's been some rumors around her possible uh, pick, or her you know it could be possible that she's picked for vice president. What are those rumors like? Um, where where you live and what what are you hearing? Um, do you think there's any validity to them? So we're hearing a lot of what you're probably hearing. Um, I She has not yet come on record, you know, saying that they, she and Biden have spoken about this. I mean, there's all, there's been, I believe I read there was some casual conversation about it, but she constantly, you know, shuts down that rumor saying like, it's not, you know, it's mm-hmm. just not valid or it's not going to happen. So I don't think that there's any hard evidence just yet. And I think she's, you know, so passionate about Michigan right now and so focused on fixing our state, whether it's our roads or, you know, just dealing with this pandemic that I don't know that she's necessarily thinking about, you know, the VP position. Mm-hmm. I that's that's just like from what I've gathered from the things that I've read. I have not really interviewed her. Um, it's been years since I've interviewed her just because I've switched beats over the years. So, mm-hmm. 
there may be some reporters who've talked to her and, you know, they're probably not going to share that information with me just so I don't, you know, take the scoop from them. But <laughs> uh, people are very competitive here. Sure, um, sure. <laughs> that like maybe she has had that conversation with another reporter and I just don't know. But for now, I would say it's just a rumor. Gotcha. Rob, do you have anything else? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think it's it's hard not to talk about right now. If you're, if you're talking at all about the Democratic mm-hmm. primary, we've talked about how Biden is kind of on the way to winning this nomination. Um, mm-hmm. And meanwhile, there's there's very serious allegations against events, Joe Biden, that are starting to become more and more prominent. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's been really kind of gross, I find, to, to see so many people uh, sort of in liberals in the media and in politics who in the past have been very adamant that we need to listen to these kinds of allegations and take them seriously and investigate them and just immediately kind of hand wave it away um, because it's happening to someone that they like and it's, you know, it's politically inconvenient. Uh, but I think, I mean, it's something, it's not something we've really talked a ton about on this show. Number one is like, I'm, I'm personally, this is just something that I feel a little bit more comfortable, like listening to women talk about because I think it's more uh, it's kind of more pertinent um, and also waiting for more more corroborating evidence to come come out. And now it seems like more of it is. And there still doesn't seem to be any effort on the part of these people I was mentioning in the media or in the political sphere to address this in any way. Um, what what has it been like for you seeing that kind of uh, play out, uh, that, that whole conversation? So it's been almost disturbing. Um it makes me wonder why a lot of news organizations waited to report this stuff. I mean, it yeah. seems like this conversation was going on for a very long time, like before, you know, before he even ran for this position. Um, and some people think that some people have told me they think news organizations waited to report on it so that it wouldn't hurt his chances against Bernie. I, I can't really confirm whether that's true or not. The timing but, was certainly suspicious. <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of people felt that way. Um, and, you know, this is also one of those topics that's very hard to report because you have to be so responsible about it. I mean, you can hear one person's side of the story. They give you all the nitty gritty details. It's disturbing. You know, I've had to report these things before. But you also need the other side. And I know some people hate the whole don't both sides this, but like you really do have to give someone a chance to respond because these are serious allegations. So I can understand if that was part of the delay in their reporting where they just needed to be a responsible journalist. But seeing these things like reading about it makes me I mean, I feel like it makes any woman cringe, even any man cringe, really, because Like, I was actually talking about it with someone close to me, um, a gentleman, and he didn't know the details of the situation. And when I was just going through all the details that I was reading, I was like, apparently, like, this woman is alleging that Biden did this, like, X, Y, and Z to her. And he was like, oh, my God, like, his face, he was just distraught. And he's like, this is so disturbing. Like, why, why do people support this kind of behavior? And I'm mm-hmm. like, I don't know that they necessarily support the behavior. They just, you know, they see this candidate with a reputation uh, from a presidency that seems very much like angelic compared to our current administration, um, that they just they won't see any flaws because right now there's this movement for anything but Trump. 
Um, and I mean, it is like, it is really hard to read that. And a lot of people have said like, they don't know what to do now in the, the election. Cause they're like, you know, they have one candidate who has said some scary, horrendous things and things like injecting yourself with a clean uh, Lysol cleanser. Um, yeah. And then you have another candidate who is, you know, who has all these sexual assault claims against him. They're like, when are we going to get some sort of change where there's someone running who isn't guilty of these things, of doing these things to people, someone who they want to feel safe around, someone who they feel like is going to give them that sense of peace, that equality, and just like a good life. I mean, that's why people live here, right? To live a good life. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's definitely, it's hard to read. It's hard to report. Um, there's a lot of unanswered questions, especially about the timing of it. Um, and I mean, you know, like I said, this was something that has been discussed that she shared her story a long time ago. And for some reason, it's like only recently coming out. Well, and you, you may said there's unanswered questions, but there's unasked questions as well, because no Biden has not been asked about this once. And it's been yeah. over a month since this has come out. There's more and more corroborating evidence that it's come out. The fucking Bernie Sanders has been asked about it in, in interviews, <laughs> but no one's actually asked Joe Biden about this or have had have got him to respond to it in any way. And it's just so bizarre. Yeah. And it's it's really I think quite disgusting actually to see how this is very clearly like not being dealt with in the way that it should be. That's what gets me though. Is like, if people aren't asking him, like, I don't understand why they wouldn't directly go to the source. I I get it that it's like really hard to, you know, get someone as big as Joe Biden to respond to an inquiry. Uh, That's like me trying to reach out to president Trump and just asking him a question, expecting him to answer. Um, so I get I get it from that standpoint, but it is, you know, it is disturbing for the people who do have access to him to not ask him these questions. I mean, when I'm doing an interview for my stories, like, for instance, my Ramadan story, and I was talking to Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib, like, yeah, we talked about Ramadan for the majority of the interview. And then I sort of segued into the Democratic Party because, like, why not? Like there, when you have access to someone, like that's your chance to ask them about something other than what you're working on, because you may not have access to them for a very long time. So it is very, it is interesting. I mean, you raise a good point there. Yeah, um, I, I I watched over the past. I mean, we all did really uh, over the past couple of weeks of these reporters um, who and and people and and Democratic thought leaders, etc who in 2018 beat back any type of defense of Kavanaugh as inappropriate or not believing women, these same people trotted out the exact same defenses. Yeah, um, it's literally identical. It's unbelievable how disingenuous this all is, and it makes people cynical about the whole thing. It makes it really look like um, just a partisan, cynical like manipulation when you have now today with the business insider story of her neighbors corroborating her story even back in the early 90s the larry king thing the multiple corroborations before that this is way more intensive and way more corroborated than the kavanaugh story was and these same people are now now they're shifting to 
Well, we just would have believed her if uh, Katie Halper wasn't the person who broke it. It's like, who fucking cares? Who yeah. cares who she mm-hmm. talked to first? Yeah, and just and just like Christine Blasey Ford, when you heard her account of what happened, she was very credible and very believable. Right. And if you listen to Tara Reid's stories, I think it's the same thing. And also, yeah. I'll say about Katie Halper, uh, she's she's a friend, and I think she's a great journalist. Yeah. And uh, yeah. if you listen to the interview with, with Tara Reid, I mean, that the... the, the, the that that conversation is out there and it's not it's not done in like this very partisan way and it's very it's very credible and very believable mm-hmm. and like people just completely putting their heads in the sand about this it not only is it i find disgusting and really like kind of offensive and and it's harmful to women that have been or anyone that's been a victim of sexual assault mm-hmm. um but yeah, it, it it hurts their credibility in the future for like any time this is because this will come up again. Powerful figures uh, will be accused of of these kinds of things before, and if they've kind of failed to prosecute this and fail to uh, you know look into it and fail to like give it the credibility that it deserves, it's pretty much just like a get out of jail free card for anyone in the future that's that's accused of this kind of thing because they can say, well, it, well obviously your standards don't, don't apply to people <laughs> in your own party. So it's just this partisan thing. And it allows them to kind of completely wriggle out of any, any future uh, type of these accusations. So that's why I find it's, it's really harmful because it's, it's not just about Joe Biden or this one specific situation, but it, the, the whole culture of sexual assault and talking about it is going to be like, it take a giant step back. if They're not able to, to, admit that like this is a serious problem that they need to openly talk about i know you can't see me but i've been nodding along to everything that you're saying Um, but yeah it it is dangerous you're right it's it's extremely harmful it takes a lot to for a woman to come forward because of the societal double double standards i mean no one ever believes us without you know first questioning things like oh like did you give consent or what was your relationship like? Things like that. I mean, even like in my own state, um, there was someone who was managing Governor Whitmer's campaign who was actually in the news for sexual harassment. Um, immediately, she, I think she fired him or he resigned or something after it came out. But I just remember like hearing about people who approached the party about you know, his sexual harassment and reasons why they wouldn't vote for her is because he was representing her. And when they approached the party, you know, they just suddenly needed all of this evidence, you know, and it took a guy to sort of stand up for the woman who was being harassed. And like, I think that in itself is just like another issue to delve into, like having a male representative to really stand up for a woman to make it seem more believable. So is that something that people like Tara would need like a a male representative. Like, I don't know. I mean, it's, we're still at that point where, you know, people aren't a hundred percent believing women. And they think that when they come forward with sexual harassment or sexual assault allegations that they're doing it for clout, which is not the case for at least for most of these allegations that have been put forward and out in the public sphere. So it is like, that's one of those issues that's, very scary and sensitive and difficult to deal with because we still have, you know, this built in systemic umbrella, if you will. I don't really know how to explain it, but just this double standard. Yeah, sure. Mm -hmm. I think you hit, you hit it on, you touched on it earlier, Rob. I think it's important that we listen to groups like ultraviolet and Toronto Burke and, and people who don't seem to be swayed 
bipartisan motivations. I think uh, Ultraviolet and NARAL were pretty... I think both of them, but don't quote me on it, please. Uh, but I think both of them early on were like, "This is we, we need to hear this, we need to explore this more because this is concerning, um, and didn't turn a blind eye to it. And they weren't really... Those statements weren't picked up or, or spread widely as far as I remember. Um, but, but as this continues to develop, I think it's important that people look to groups like that, groups that do you know, advocacy on behalf of survivors and women's rights groups and those types of organizations, because it's important to hear their voices and also listen to uh, Tara Reid and what she wants in all this, because things are going to be a lot of questions about, well, what do we do with Biden? What does she want? Yeah. And one and on, another thing, too, is that Biden is not the nominee. Like, he's the right. presumptive nominee. There's been no convention. They haven't selected a nominee. There is still a way to not do this. I mean, because you can tell already the right is already picking up this story. It's not going to go away. Uh, if it does come down to being a, an election between Biden and Trump, this is going to be it's going to be this. It's going to be the the China stuff and the Ukraine stuff. That's going to be the whole election campaign. And, and, and it's another way that electing that electing Biden as the, the leader of the Democratic Party kind of surrenders the moral high ground to Trump on a lot of areas. Like if you're if you find Trump's behavior and treatment of women disgusting and his bragging about sexual assault, well, you can't really use that angle anymore because Biden is is not much better. Um, mm-hmm. If you find his corrupt family upsetting and, and that's his his open corruption, that's something that you can hit Trump on. Well, you can't when it's Biden because he has a lot of these same issues, too. Um, so it's just creating this situation where it's, 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 there's so many, obviously there's so many legitimate things you can hit Trump on because of how fucking terrible he is. Uh, but when you're, you're circling the wagons to ensure that Joe Biden wraps up this nomination, despite all this stuff swirling around, uh, it completely surrenders that moral high ground argument. And um, it, there, there's going to be no argument. There's going to be no uh, counter argument to that. You can't, you can't really criticize Trump on any of these grounds when you're sitting there supporting uh, Joe Biden, who's guilty of a lot of the same stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, if you know, unless Joe Biden intends to create a Muslim ban, then <laughs> I think there's that <laughs> one thing that he has. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, sure. Just, I mean, yeah, and yeah. As obviously, a reporter, I think I, probably... I think Trump in many levels is is really bad and and worse in many mm-hmm. in many ways, but. In the discourse, yeah. you can see how that's going to become problematic. Right, right. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like, it's like there are there are differences, and sure, it's like um, on uh, the environment. I think you know Biden would pr- appoint people to run uh, agencies and bureaus who would be better on things like that. I don't think they would be good enough, but there's, you know, it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's better than Trump. And that's the thing. It's like a, such a low bar because the bar with Trump is already on the floor. And then you're just like thrusting forward this flawed candidate that like, it's just so obviously broken and inadequate. Um, and then you're just kind of, we're just, here we are struggling to find things um, where, you know, Biden is like light years ahead of him. But I mean, just like we had, a, we had so many choices, and this is where we end up. Like, come the yeah. fuck on, what a broken system! And then yeah. now we have this situation in New York, where they're taking Bernie off the ballot. Um, you know, they're saying out of safety or, or because it doesn't matter, but it's like it also it does matter because those delegates help shape the the platform. So again, it yeah, all boils are, down to people power. People are going and control. to vote that day, anyways, as well. Yeah, well, they could vote by mail. There's a way. You I mean they should just vote by mail? Yeah, Great but also, democracy. oh, yeah. also, also that that puts progressive challengers down ballot or progressive candidates in general down ballot at a disadvantage. 
um, that's another, and this is something Cuomo has has done his whole political career. I see, you know, with the IDC and cozying up to Republicans, basically, but you know, the center center right Democratic wing of the party in New York. I mean, this is New York is a machine, and and he has been the conductor for a very long time, and one of his you know operating procedures has been to beat back progressives. Interesting stuff. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I mean, that's the thing. Like the um, Bernie not being on the ballot is really going to hurt, uh, like possible like insurgent uh, primary challengers in the Democratic Party in that race. Like like friend of the show Lindsey Boylan. Like it's probably going to hurt the turnout that she was hoping to have uh, to flip the uh, the NY10 uh, seat. So really, not not a whole lot of uh, great uh, Democratic uh, stuff happening in that in that situation. Not very not very democratic in my opinion. Sorry if that's over the line. I get a little. <laughs> a little Do you guys spicy. have like any predictions on how this election will go? <sighs> I, I think I'm finished making predictions. Honestly, <laughs> I think I'm going to take a little break from making. I feel predictions. like it's just an on, it's an ongoing question because like no one knows. Like people will know an answer one day and then another day they're like, I have no idea. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I've, 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 I'm, I'm out of the prediction game. I'm just going <laughs> to stick to the reliable, uh, always trustworthy um, sports betting. I'm just going to stick to yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> and I will, before we sign off, too, I will just, I just want to circle back on one thing you said because what you pointed out is absolutely right. Like Trump's overt racism towards people of color and, and immigrant communities and Muslim communities, obviously, is really toxic and and awful and something that I would like to see replaced. Um. I think that's just another reason that that Biden is a bad candidate as well, though, because it's, of course, he's not supporting the same kind of like immigration ban or this kind of really overt racist policies. But, you know, he's really tried to downplay the role he played in starting the Iraq war. Uh, but when you actually look back at that time, he was like a key sort of cheerleader for that and a one of the like key Democratic allies in making sure the Iraq war uh, happened, which we like wrought untold devastation on Muslim communities there in Iraq and elsewhere throughout the Middle East. So mm-hmm. even though it's another situation where even though he's less overtly racist and he probably would have better like uh, domestic policies uh, regarding these communities, he still doesn't have a ton of credibility on that front because of the role that he's played in, in a lot of this uh, uh, sort of imperialism, which has really profoundly negatively impacted Muslims around the world. And they see that too. Um, they, re- they recognize that. But at the end of the day, I mean, it's getting out to the polls. And unfortunately, there's this, uh, you know, rhetoric of vote for the lesser of two evils, which for some reason has carried over for all of these years. But that's just that. I mean, that's the reality of the situation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, man. I guess you better let you go. Yeah. Oh, yeah. uh, We don't want to interrupt your evening. Yeah, I got to prepare <laughs> some food soon. So, but thank yeah, you guys sure for having me. This is a really fruitful conversation. <laughs> yeah, yeah it was great to speak to you. Thanks, Thanks so much for joining us. on the show. Where can people find your uh, your you. work and where can they follow you online? Um, My Twitter is where I post most of my stuff. It's just Dana Afana, um, D-A-N-A-A-F-A-N-A. And my work is on MLive.com. You can just search my name and it should show up. Awesome. Thank you, Dana. Thank you. All right. You guys have a good day. Thank you for listening to The Insurgents. Please remember to subscribe over at theinsurgents.substack.com. 
Find the podcast on all your favorite podcast apps. And please remember to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It's very helpful and we appreciate it a lot. But please, again, don't mention Ken Klippenstein in the review. He is banned from the show. It's a lifetime ban. So please do not mention him in the review. And we'll be back later this week with more of the content that you know and love. Goodbye.